This is Rich Phipps, and I'm the lead pastor of Grace Collective Church. Welcome to our podcast. Whether you're a part of our local church family or a part of our online community, we're so glad that you're here. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church. Great. Um, So, (laughs) hey, so I just want to piggyback on what Marsha just told you. Um, So we we just completed our first ever starting point. So we have a welcome party coming up again. So if you're new the last X number of months, we would love to kind of party with you. Come and get to know us, kind of get the staff a little bit. And then that will take you to another step, which is our our starting point where like we just finished like three Mondays in a row. And some of you were here or in that class at a great group of folks. And it was so much fun. I could not wait for every single Monday night. So be thinking about that if you're new. Be praying about that. We would love to get to know you better than we do already. Hey, let's get into the word today. So this is a picture of Hughes Auditorium on the campus of Asbury University in little T90 Wilmore, Kentucky. And this picture was taken like two and a half weeks ago on Wednesday, February 8th. And it, it was like after a normal chapel, like chapel, they have chapel three days a week. Like they, they do that now, like they did, um, they've been doing it for decades. Like they did when my mom was a student there. Like they did when my wife, Marcia was a student there. Like they did when our daughter, McKenna, was a student there. Chapel, three days a week. And this was another just normal day of chapel. And then after chapel, all the students leave. They go back to classes, wherever they are on campus. But you can see that some students stayed behind. You see a student praying at the altar. You see a couple clusters of students staying and praying over each other. And that's not unusual. I remember being in chapel across the street at the seminary. And in both, both schools, they tell you, hey, if God is doing something and you're involved in, in some meaningful conversation with people or in prayer, then, then you know, skip class. It's, that's more important than going to class. I probably took advantage of that a little more than I should have. But that's not unusual. But what was unusual this day was after all these like thousands some students go out to their classes and they begin to feel God tugging at their hearts saying, go back to Hughes Auditorium, go back to chapel. And so those students in all their classrooms all over campus told their professors, hey, I feel like God's telling me to go back. And the professors are like, yeah, you go. And so all over campus, I don't know what it looked like, but I can picture it because I've been there so often. I just see them streaming out of all the buildings, coming back to Hughes Auditorium. And as they got back there, they understood why God called them back. Because when they got back in the chapel, back in Hughes Auditorium, God broke in with his Holy Spirit. God broke open a revival that was unplanned, unplanned completely. And lives got changed and faith got built and and people were delivered and people were healed. And it went on and on and on, like all that day and all that night. In fact, take a look at this next picture. That's the same place. Nine days later, nine days, Hughes Auditorium, nine days later, all these people from town and from around town in Lexington, Kentucky, and all these places across the state and other states started coming in. And it didn't stop at nine days. It just stopped the other day, over two weeks, 24-7, people coming and filling. I have friends who are sending me pictures because they're still down there. I have friends who are there, and they're like, hey, I've been in line for two hours, two more hours, and I get into the auditorium. Four-hour wait in line to get in to be a part of what God was doing, and it broke out all over campus, and, and they filled Hughes Auditorium. They filled two other chapels across at the seminary. A church opened up a sanctuary in town. They filled all of those. 
And it went on until just this past week when the city authorities and the school officials got together and they said, hey, Wilmore is a small town. We don't have the infrastructure to hold the tens of thousands of people that were coming into town for this revival to see what God was doing. Like all these other universities and colleges were, were sending delegates down. What's God doing? Go be a part of that. And so they had to finally cut it off. But they said, it's not going to stop here. Here's what we need to do. We're going to take it back to everywhere you've come from. And go, go ignite hearts. Go spread this fire of what God's doing everywhere that you have come from. And so the people spread out and they've done that. But I'll tell you why else it's not going to stop. Because the people right there, the people who've been coming in for over two weeks to be a part of what God was doing. I'm telling you, people got saved. People got their faith grown. They were there when God moved. And they now understand more fully than ever why they believe what they believe. If anyone ever comes up to them and says, why do you believe what you believe about Jesus? Do you know what they're going to say? Because I was there. And they'll tell their kids, and they'll tell their parents, and they'll tell their grandkids, they'll tell their grandparents, and their friends, and their neighbors, their co-workers. This is why I believe. Because I was there. That's, that's what we wrestled with last week, right? We, we, we brought up a question that all of us need to wrestle with. What did it take for you to believe? Or if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, what would it take for you to believe? Like, why do you believe what you believe about Jesus? Like, your parents maybe taught you what to believe. Maybe a church at some point in your life, if you, ever, if you grew up going to church or went to a church, maybe they taught you what to believe. But listen, if your what never turns into the why, then your faith is at risk every day. Because you live in a culture and you live in a world that would love to deconstruct your faith. And until you know why you believe what you believe, you will stop believing it. Because when life gets complicated, and it will, and when the, the questions get really challenging, and they do, you won't, if you don't know why you believe what you believe, you won't have the answers. And you'll stop believing what you used to believe in. If you don't believe me, go ask all the people who've walked away because their, their what never turned to the why. Well, friends, today you're going to meet some people who knew exactly why they believed, why they believed what they believed. They knew why, because they were there when something miraculous happened. You're going to meet them in a few moments. But before we do, let me just say welcome. We are so Thankful that you are here at Grace Collective. We are so thankful you've chosen to be with us. Either if you're here in person or online, we are thankful that you're here. And if you are new with us, let me just again remind you, you have a next step. And your next step, if you're new, is a really simple step. It's like 50 steps away. You go right out to our lobby. You stop at Connect Point, And we have a team of really friendly people that would love to connect with you. And then tell you how you can begin taking some more next steps with Jesus and with Grace Collective. It's all at your pace and your timing, but we hope you'll take advantage of a team out there waiting to meet with you. Hey, so today, let's jump back in, into this message. Today, we want to talk about this absolutely radical event that changed people's lives. I mean, these are people who when other people would ask them later, hey, why do you believe what you believe? They would have said, because I 
was there. It's an amazing story, and it starts with this. Now, a man named Lazarus, and immediately, a whole bunch of you are like, oh, I know that story. Yeah, you do. You, a lot of you know the story of Lazarus. If you don't know the story of Lazarus, you're going to hear it today. But yeah, a lot of you know it. So now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And you're like, oh, I know them too. Yeah, you do. Mary and her sister uh, Martha and Lazarus were siblings. They all lived in this little town, this little village called Bethany. Bethany was about a little less than two miles from their capital city of Jerusalem. So if Jerusalem sat here, then Bethany was just two miles east of, just two miles east of uh, Jerusalem. So if you go walk out one of the eastern gates of, of the city of Jerusalem, you, you come to an abrupt hill. You go straight down this little cliff-like hill. There's a little creek called the Kidron Creek. And then the, 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 the uh, land rises pretty sharply, and it goes over this little hill. That's the Mount of Olives. It's right there. And the Garden of Gethsemane, some of you know that, is right there in the Mount of Olives. If you go over the Mount of Olives, down the eastern sloping side of the Mount of Olives, then you come to Bethany. And that's where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. And in Scripture, you read about this because Jesus would often stay at their house. Like when you go, if you've ever gone to a, a town or somewhere and you found out, hey, I've got a friend that lives here. You go visit the, that friend of yours, maybe even stay with that friend of yours, right? That's what Jesus did. He would stay with Martha and Mary and Lazarus when he was going to Jerusalem or passing by Bethany. So it was a common place for, for Jesus to be. But now Lazarus is sick. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now they had to send a message to Jesus because Jesus wasn't in Bethany. He wasn't around Jerusalem. And here's why. Just a short while before this, Jesus had a run-in with the Jewish leaders, the Jewish religious leaders. And they were so angry. Like Jesus had a way of just ticking them off. And they were so angry with Jesus that they wanted to take his life. And so Jesus took his followers and he walked about two days away. So he's two days away from Jerusalem and from Bethany. And so he's, he's, he's a little bit distant. So Mary and Martha, they send a message to get word to Jesus. And that's never a good message to get, is it? That someone you care about is sick. It's never a good message when it's this kind of sick. It's never good when the doctor calls you and pauses and says, hey, we need to, we need to talk about your results. It's never good when, when your friend calls you and asks for, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee. But you tell from her voice something's wrong. It's never good when your dad calls and says, we need to talk about your mom. It's never good when the message is, hey, the person you love is really, really sick. That's the message they sent to Jesus. But this was about to get even worse because while the messenger was on the way to find Jesus, Lazarus died now, the messenger didn't know he died. The people around Jesus, his disciples didn't know that, that he died. Only Jesus knew that Lazarus died. So here's what happened. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son, which by the way was a title, He's not just describing himself. It's a title, the Son of God. Jesus is right here claiming to be God. That was a title for God on earth. 
so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I want y'all to hold on to that. Because what I'm about to read next may make you really wonder if that last statement is true. So Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he rushed to Lazarus' bedside. He left like immediately without even packing his things to go and be with a family as quickly as he could get there. He caught the first bus to make it there on time. Right? No. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Oh my gosh, who does that? Right? You ever, you ever read this and say, Jesus, what, Jesus what, why? Because when, when you find out that someone you love is sick, you don't wait. You go. You get to them so you can be with them. When someone is this sick, you don't wait two more days, especially when it's a family who, who says, oh, by the way, the one you love is sick, and they don't even have to name him. So when someone says to you, oh, your best friend, they don't have to name your best friend. You know who your best friend is. Jesus knew them, and they knew Jesus. They had such close relationship together that they don't have to ma- mention him by name. Oh, the one you love is sick. When you get that sort of a message, like, who waits for two days to go see them? Well, apparently, Jesus, because Jesus had a plan. So Jesus waited two more days, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. And immediately, the alarms went off in their heads, because Judea, that's the, the area where Jerusalem and Bethany are. And they're like, whoa, 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 that's not a good idea. So they said, but Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? They're like, you really want to go back there? And maybe more importantly, Jesus, you want us to go with you? Because if they're going to stone you, they're going to stone us because we're part of your, your, your posse. We're part of your crew. And whatever happened to the criminal, his whole team could face the same punishment. Jesus, do you really want to go back there? And do you really want us to go? With, maybe you should go by yourself and then send word. I don't, I don't blame them. I would be scared to go back there too. So they're asking Jesus, do you really want to go back there? Like, hey, we're with you. We all like Lazarus. We all like Martha. We all like Mary. In fact, Martha makes the best matzo balls this side of the Jordan River. And they're almost good enough, you know, to be worth going back and risking death. But do you really want to go back? Where the last time we were there, they tried to take your life. Because if you go back, something bigger than just Lazarus being sick is going to happen. Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? What? Right? You ever read that? Don't you like stop right there and say, what? Don't you imagine the apostles like, he wants to go back with him and face death and see Lazarus and wow, this is really hard stuff. Jesus, what do you say? Aren't there 12 hours of daylight like every day? Yeah, I guess so. But what in the world are you talking about? Don't you think they looked at each other and thought, Jesus just lost it? Like, this, he, I know he's good friends. This is a big deal. But wow, did Jesus just did take a left turn at Albuquerque? Well, Jesus, what, what are you talking about? 
What Jesus was, he was on point. He continued saying to them, anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble. For they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And they're probably like, yeah, we understand night and day, being able to see, not being able to see. We get all that, Jesus. But where are you going with this? Here's where Jesus was going. He's saying to them, when you have light, you can see what's happening. You understand what's happening around you way more so than you can in the dark. And right now, boys, you've got the light of the world with you. So hang in there with me. Yeah, we're going back to Judea. Come with me and you're going to see and understand things you've never seen or understand before because I'm with you. I'm going to show it to you. So hang in there with me. That's what Jesus was saying to them. And he said, when we get there, it's going to change your lives. After Jesus had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. They're like, what's the big deal? You know, we all get sick. We've all been there. And sleep, that's the best medicine we've got. So why don't we not go and wake him up and just let him sleep? Because when he wakes up, he'll probably feel really better and we won't get dead. So we think that's a better plan. That's what the apostles are thinking. But Jesus knew differently. Jesus had been speaking of Lazarus' death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he just told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Did you catch what's going on? Because I think they did. Don't you think? They said, wait, 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 wait a minute, Jesus. You just told us a couple minutes ago that this sickness will not end in death. You caught that, right? You heard that? Jesus, you just said a minute ago, this won't end in death, but now you just told us that Lazarus is dead. You can understand the apostles' confusion, right? Because it seems like Jesus is doubling back on his words all of a sudden. Lazarus is dead? Jesus, there's no getting over that. The challenge with the apostles is they could not see what Jesus could see. Jesus knew exactly what he was going there to do. And all they could see was an end. Lazarus was dead, period. And you've been there at seasons in your life, right? Pain or the sadness or the dead end job or that semester at school that's been so, so hard or the sickness you're battling through. When you're in that season, that's all you see. To you, it feels like that's going to last forever. But listen, when you see an end, Jesus sees a fresh start. That's why Jesus was telling them, hey, trust me, go with me. Because Jesus is bigger than what you're in, and he has a plan. Let me me show you what his plan was for Lazarus. But let me warn you that the next part I'm about to read to you is going to sound really harsh or at least confusing. Jesus is still standing there with with the apostles, and he says, And for your sake, hey guys, because of you, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Now imagine the apostles, like, wondering, and maybe this is where where you would say the same thing, and maybe saying to Jesus, "Whoa, whoa, wait a minute, Jesus, how can you be glad that you weren't there? You love Lazarus. You love Martha and Mary. We know that. 
How can you be glad you weren't there? He was sick, so sick he's dying. He might be in pain. He might be just totally uncomfortable. And Mary and Martha, they're grieving. How in the world? You could have done something. We've seen you do it a hundred times. How can you be glad that you weren't there? And then Jesus, to take it further, how can you pin it on us? How can, you, how can you say, because of us, you're glad you weren't there? Now, apparently, we're going to go back there, and we, we didn't make it to the viewing. And we didn't make it to the funeral. And now we're going to go face Mary and Martha. And you're going to say, well, because of these guys, I wasn't here. Doesn't sound very fair. Jesus, why? Why would you ever say that and sort of blame us? But friends, this is one of the most beautiful truths about this entire event. Jesus wasn't being harsh. Jesus wasn't being mean. Jesus was living beyond the moment. This is why it's so good for you and me to hear this today. Jesus wasn't limiting his work to to people who lived 2,000 years ago or just one single family. Jesus was about to show us something that would span all of time and all families. What Jesus was about to do was way, way, way more important than he would have done if he had gone back when Lazarus was just sick. And he knew that what he was about to do, his, his disciples needed to see that. He knew that Mary and Martha needed to see what he was about to do. More than they needed to know, he could have healed their brother. And he knew that 2,000 years after it happened, you and I needed to see what he was about to do. This is way bigger than just going back and healing sick Lazarus. If Jesus had gone back and healed Lazarus, that would have been a miracle, right? That's good. That's great. But this was more than a miracle. What Jesus was about to do was more than a miracle. In fact, John, who wrote this for us, John, the apostle, John, who was standing there with Peter and James and Andrew and all the other apostles, scratching their heads thinking, well, I don't know what's going on, but it doesn't sound good for us. John was there. And he saw it happen. And years later, when he's writing down his biography of Jesus so the world may know and you and I may come to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He thought back this event and he did not call it a miracle. Do you know what he called it? He called it a sign. A sign. In fact, all through his biography of Jesus, you see sign after sign after sign. That's different than a miracle. Miracles are great, but you know what signs do? They point to something, right? You're driving down the road and there's a sign, you know, Harrisburg's only so many miles away. And the sign is not Harrisburg, but it directs to Harrisburg, right? Or you come to a town maybe you've never been in and you look for a sign, where am I? Oh, there's a sign that tells you what the name of the town is. The sign is not the town. The sign tells you about the town. A sign points to something bigger and better than itself. And by recording this and calling it a sign, John is saying this is not just a miracle. This is pointing to something bigger and better than the event that happened. This is something so amazing. It points beyond what Jesus did to who Jesus is. More on that in a moment. Let's keep, let's keep going. Jesus, keep, Jesus, Jesus was still talking. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now, the next line I'm about to read to you is hilarious. It may not be hilarious. It wasn't at the time, but looking back on it, I think it's funny. I have maybe a warped sense of humor, but maybe you think it's funny too. Here's what happened next. Then Thomas, one one of the apostles, right? He's standing there with Peter, John, and all the others. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, the twin, said to the rest of the disciples, like he looks around and sees like they're always 
lost and confused or afraid as he is. And he just takes the step up and he says, well, let us also go that we may die with him. Like he summons his inner Eeyore, right? And he says, well, Lazarus died. Jesus is obviously going to die. Let's just go lay it down too. Let's all go die together with him. And so they all get in line behind Jesus and start a two-day walk, probably, most likely, to their deaths. Let's all just go and die with him. When they got there, before they even got in the whole way into town, word got to Martha, Lazarus' sister, that Jesus was on his way in. And she jumped up, ran out of her house. She went out there to see Jesus. And when she got to where Jesus was on the road, they had the most interesting conversation. She said, Lord, Lord, if you had been here, right? Sounds a whole lot like who? You and me, doesn't it? That's how, we, that's how we go to Jesus a lot. Lord, if you had been here, exactly. Pastor Andy Stanley, who was a big inspiration for me in this message, he, he makes this point. He asks this question. Have you ever asked that? And our answer is, yeah. Yeah. I, I've said that to Jesus a lot of times. And you have too. Maybe not those exact words, but maybe more like this. God, if you would have, then this wouldn't have. God, you could have. But you didn't. God, you could have healed my mom, but you didn't. God, you could have taken care of that child, but you didn't. God, you could have saved my marriage, but you didn't. Martha sounded just like us. She said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Isn't it good to know? Let me, let me give you a takeaway real quick from this. Isn't it good to know the people who love Jesus, the people who are closest to Jesus, thought and felt and expressed the same things you and I do. And they were free to tell it to Jesus' face. And he didn't get mad at them. He just loved her. Isn't it good to know that you can go to Jesus when you feel that way and say, you can rant and rave a little bit? Like, if you'd been here, if you'd acted, then this never would have happened. And Jesus is like, I know. But I love you. And I've got a plan. And someday it'll all make sense. It didn't make sense when it happened, but someday it will. Isn't it good to know that Jesus lets us do that? I love that about, about Jesus. Martha continued, still speaking to Jesus. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Doesn't it sound like Martha's hinting a little bit? Hey, Jesus, I know, I know you weren't at the viewing. I made monster balls. You weren't at the funeral. You missed that. But now that you are here, finally, Jesus, now that you are here... I know that God, our Father, will give you whatever you ask. So Jesus, since we're so close, since we're such good friends, Jesus, don't you want to ask him for what I want to ask him for? Don't you want to ask him for what I would ask if I could stand before him and ask him? Doesn't it feel like Martha's hinting a little bit? Like, I know you can get the Father to do anything you want him to do, so don't you want to team up with me, Jesus? And let's ask this together. Knowing what she was getting at, Jesus said this to her. Jesus said, Martha, your brother will rise again. And something in the way Jesus said that moved Martha from the immediate, because she wanted immediately Lazarus to be back alive again. And you've been there, right? When you lose a loved one, you say, man, I wish, I wish they hadn't passed. I wish they could be here right with, right with me right now. 
But Jesus' response, something in Jesus' response moved Martha from the immediate hope of, I want him back right now, to the future hope that the Jews held called the last day. It was, it's called Olam Haba, the world to come. And so now, and I don't know if you've ever read it this way, but you need to read it this way, with, with disappointment in her voice, Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She's talking about, she's talking about the Jews' view of the end times. Listen, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus hadn't happened yet back then, Right? We live on this side of that. We have an entirely different understanding of resurrection than the Jews did. We're like, oh yeah, Jesus was, was killed, you know, buried, and then raised again. And so because he rose, we're going to rise, we're going to go to heaven. And that's our understanding, biblically, rightly, of resurrection. But the Jews didn't have that yet. They believed in this last day. This last day, Olam Haba, which was, which, which, which was the Messianic age when God would raise up all the Jews, all the Israelites, and they'd all come back to life physically in Israel. And there they would live with God forever. That's, that's what she was referring to. Yeah, I know, Jesus, I know he's going to rise again on that last day in the Messianic age when God moves in that power. But Jesus was about to blow her mind. Listen, he's about to change her entire view on resurrection. And don't miss this. Listen, if you're asleep, wake up for just a moment and look up here. You want to hear this, what Jesus said next. Here's what Jesus said to her. I am the resurrection. And I am the life. Jesus was saying, this is not some future power, some future event. This is beginning now. I am the power and I am beginning this now. Martha, listen, Martha was asking Jesus, hey, bring my brother back. Bring my brother back from the dead. And Jesus was saying, hey, I don't just bring people back from the dead. I am victory over death, period. I don't, just, I, I don't just bring people back to life. I am, I am eternal life. Like Martha, everything you're asking for, everything you've been wanting and hoping for is in me. He said, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then Jesus asked her this most important question. He looked at her and he said, Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And here's what he's asking Martha. And here's what he's asking you. Here's what he's asking me today. Have you seen enough of me? Have you experienced enough of me? Have you encountered enough of me to believe this? To believe that I am who I say that I am? Do you believe this? Martha ran back to the house to get Mary. Mary came back out on the road where Jesus was. She brought a whole entourage with her, all these friends and family, people from town and from Jerusalem and everywhere around who were there for the funeral. They all came running out with her. And so they're all standing before Jesus. And when Jesus, and, and this is so interesting what happened next. When Jesus saw her weeping, Mary, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then something so remarkable happened. It's not what you're thinking. We're not there yet. We'll get there in a minute. 
But this is so, so unique and I think just as remarkable and, and powerful as what you're thinking of we'll get to in a moment. And I'm so glad that whoever divided up the Bible into chapters and verses gave this next thing I'm about to read to you its own verse, even though it's only two words. Remember what it, what it is? Jesus wept. I know, I, I know, I know the joke, right? When you're in youth group and you have to memorize a verse, or maybe in your life, give your challenge, hey, before you come back next week, everybody memorize one verse. That's my go-to, right? Because it's all I can handle. One verse, oh, two words, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, ta-da, give me my prize. And that, for me, that was for years, right? That's all I could memorize. Jesus wept. But as short as it is, it is powerful. Because think about it for a minute. Just think about this. This is God of the universe. This is the creator of everything that ever was and ever will be. This is God who made you and made me and every other person in all of time. This is God king over everything. Standing before these people and watching them weep is so moved that he weeps with them. And he weeps for them. He feels that strongly for them. And what he feels for them, he feels for you. That's why that verse is so powerful. I think that's why the, the, the people who divided up said, this deserves its own verse. Jesus wept. I hope you understand a little bit more about that. That's the God we worship. Now, let's get to the rest of it. Then Jesus did it, right? Standing outside of Lazarus' tomb with Martha and Mary and all these Jews who come out to, to be with them, Jesus said, take the stone away. And this is where Martha stepped up, maybe a little bit embarrassed, like not sure. You ever have something like you want to say, but in public it's not the right thing to say, you know? Unless you're like a 13-year-old boy, then you just say anything. But here's Martha, maybe, maybe standing, you know, close to Jesus. She says, but Lord... But Lord, by this time, I don't know how to tell you this, but there's going to be a bad odor. For he has been in there for days. But Jesus wasn't worried about the smell. Jesus was concerned about the timing. Not that he got there too late, but he made sure he didn't get there too early. Here's why. In Jewish belief, you weren't fully dead until... The third day. How many of y'all ever watched Princess Bride? One time? Five times? Ten times? I love you. Yes. Remember the scene? Where they, they, had the, they, they took their, the hero and, you know, he's dead. They take him to see Billy Crystal, you know. And, and Billy Crystal's walking around saying, Oh, I've got good news for you, boys. Your friend's not dead. He's just mostly dead. Right? Remember that? He's just mostly dead. If you, in Jewish belief, if you're only dead one day or two days, you weren't fully dead. You were just mostly dead. That's not an Irish. I don't know. They weren't Irish. <laughs> Most, but now you understand why Jesus rose on the third day, not the first or second? Because then people could say, oh, <laughs> he wasn't really dead. But on the third day, oh, he was fully dead. And Lazarus, if Jesus came earlier, yeah, he made sure, oh, he's been in the tomb four days. He's got a bonus day in there. Jesus wanted to make sure that nobody standing there, nobody telling the story later, would ever be able to say, well, Lazarus probably wasn't fully dead. He was only mostly dead. He's been in the tomb four days until this happened. 
Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Can you picture that? I mean, this is like, like got, got the mummy written all over it. Like people, people scared, like, what is, we've never seen this. This is freaky. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes, unbind him, unwrap him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And don't miss this. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. If you were to ask any of those people, from that moment on, the rest of their lives, why? Why do you believe what you believe about Jesus? What would they say? Because I was there. I was there when Jesus called a dead man back to life. So why do you believe in Jesus? I'll tell you why I believe in Jesus, because I was there when Jesus called a dead man back to life spiritually far from God and guys that rich come out of there and here I am so why do you believe what you believe about Jesus why do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is Jesus has done so much to prove it to us listen the people were there that day they're like oh my gosh we've never seen like this they believed in Jesus and some were so excited about it maybe maybe um, concerned about it, they ran back to town. And they went right to their religious leaders because they, 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 they had to put some handles on this, right? Hey, religious leaders, you're the ones who lead us in all things spiritual and all things God. Do you know what just happened? They're like, no. Well, remember Lazarus died? It's been all, the news, all over the news. Lazarus died. Yeah, we know Lazarus died. Good man, we like Lazarus. Well, he's not dead anymore. He's not dead anymore. What happened, Jesus? How do you know we were there? And this made the religious leaders so angry and so afraid. They're like, if Jesus keeps being Jesus, if Jesus keeps doing Jesus things, all the people, like all the Jews are going to believe in him. It's kind of the point. But they got scared because they knew that if that happened, that the heavy hand of Rome would come down on them. Rome would sweep in and take their temple and take their land. And so from that day on, those Jewish religious leaders begin to plot Jesus' death. So listen, Jesus performed not just a miracle, he performed a sign. A sign that he really is God. And some people turned to him, and some people turned against him. The question is, how about you? Has Jesus done enough to prove to you that he is God? He's backed up every claim. He's provided hundreds of witnesses from when it was happening in the first place and millions more through the centuries. He performed signs that point to who he is that we can look back and read about and hear about. And if that's not enough for you, stick with us. We'll keep showing you. We'll keep, we'll keep dishing it out for you until you see that Jesus really is who he claimed to be. But if that is enough for you, if you know that Jesus has done something in your life, if you know he's done something in someone else's life around you, and it's enough for you to believe that Jesus is who he is, who he says he is, then here's my, here's my invite for you today. Come up to this altar and tell him. Come tell him, hey, Jesus, you've done enough for me already. I don't believe you're done, but I just want you to know 
that you've done enough for me already. And I believe that you are who you say. What, what, what if you gave him praise today for being a God that gives proof? Here, here's an idea. Here's an idea. What if today you came to the altar not to ask God for anything, but to give God everything? Amen. To say, God, you've done enough. I know where I was, and you rescued me. I've seen you work in people's lives all around me. And Jesus, you've done enough for me to believe that you are who you say you are. And because of that, I want to praise you. See, that's where I want my faith to be. I want my faith to be so strong that it's way beyond this Sunday morning, that it's Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. So that when I walk out of this place and when you walk out of this place and people ask you, because they will, why do you believe what you believe? You can say, because I was there. I know what Jesus did for me. I've seen Jesus move. And today, why not give him thanks for that? Why not praise him for that? Because there are a lot of people out there who need to know the same thing that you've discovered too. But it takes a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday faith to do it. So why not come and let God give you that kind of faith today? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing one more song. And while we're singing, this altar's wide open. You can come up here and kneel. Come up here and stand. Come here and shout. Come up here and sing. Come here and dance. Whatever it takes for you. I can imagine the party going on around the tomb of Lazarus that day as they paraded him back to his house. I can imagine the singing and the triumph. And what if we, what if we shared a little bit of that today? Because Jesus really is who he says he is. Father God, you've been good. You've been better to us than we deserve. The God of the universe that loves us so much that you weep when we weep, that stands with us in the most difficult trials, that has a plan and moves when we feel like there's no movement that could ever get us from where we are. What an amazing God you are. And Jesus, there may be some people here today who are still waiting. They're, they're, God, they're on the precipice. They're on the edge. They've seen some, but they need a little bit more. Would you show yourself more and more to them today and tomorrow and next week to bring them to the point where they can stand with arms outstretched and say, I am not ashamed of the one who has saved me. And I will give him glory today and tomorrow and the next and the next. And Jesus, some of us are already there. You've done enough. We understand, we believe you are who you are. And we know why, because we were there when you did it. And so today we want to give you glory. So Jesus, would you now just give us courage to come and stand or come and kneel or shout it out from where we are that we love you and we thank you and we praise you because you are our God. So whatever you want from us, today we give you everything. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, let's go ahead and stand and let's sing. And don't, don't be afraid to move and make this a place of praise today. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope you found something practical to use in your life today. At Grace Collective, our mission is to connect people to Jesus. Everyone, everywhere, every day. You can visit gracecollectivechurch.com to learn more about our church and how you can get involved.